Hi, I'm Dan Permack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today is Wednesday, August 5th. Stocks are up, the odds of in-person school this fall are down, and we're focused on the United States of eviction. One of the earliest pandemic fears was that we were about to see a surge in homelessness as people who lost their jobs wouldn't be able to make rent. So lawmakers intervened, creating eviction moratoriums that not only kept people sheltered, but also may have slowed viral spread. Now, though, the situation has deteriorated. 30 state moratoriums have expired since May, according to the Eviction Lab Project at Princeton University. A federal moratorium, which covers more than 12 million low-income renters, expired July 25th. If it's not extended, landlords could begin eviction proceedings later this month. Like a lot of things, early eviction moratoriums were designed as bridges to late summer, when the virus was expected to be under control. But it's not, so everyone's scrambling. That includes Washington politicians, who are trying to include tenant protections in the new stimulus package. Both parties generally agree the federal moratorium should be extended, although differ on for how long, and agree there should be some rental assistance payments, although differ on how much. President Trump, for his part, has floated the idea of dealing with this through executive order, although hasn't provided details. Remember, all of this is more dire because those $600 per week expanded unemployment benefits, well, those expired on the same day that August rent was due for many. The bottom line, America's public health crisis could soon become its public housing crisis, and a private housing one too. We'll go deeper in 15 seconds with Eliza Durana of the Eviction Lab at Princeton University. But first, this. We're joined now by Eliza Durana of the Eviction Lab at Princeton University. So Eliza, There was this kind of patchwork of eviction moratoriums kind of early on in the pandemic, state, federal, et cetera. At the outset, from your perspective, was that patchwork largely effective or not? You know, that patchwork was a mixed bag. You know, if you were lucky enough to be in a state like, let's say, Massachusetts or Connecticut, where the state put into place a fairly comprehensive eviction moratorium, meaning that they froze all stages of the eviction process, that in places like that, tenants were more protected, relatively speaking, than in a place like, say, Oklahoma, where the state took no action. And so effectively, there was no eviction ban in effect. The federal moratorium that expired last week only protected an estimated third of the rental market, which is clearly a minority of renters across the United States. And in addition to that, there was no enforcement mechanism. So it comes down to a lottery of where you live, unfortunately. Did you see in those places, say in Oklahoma, did you see a significant increase in evictions? So the evictions have been ongoing in Oklahoma throughout the entirety of the pandemic, even when the CARES Act was in place. Eviction filings are well beyond historical averages that we have for Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So we are starting to see this avalanche of evictions coming. What's the worst case scenario you could see in the next couple months if there is not new legislation passed at the federal and or state levels? I like to say the rent eats first. So people have been really smart about prioritizing rent payments. But given that many people have lost their jobs through no fault of their own and are now, you know, we're, we're in month six now of the pandemic. And in many ways, the, the supplemental unemployment insurance is now 
run out. We saw from census data last week that about a third of renters have low confidence in their ability to pay rent next month. So it could be that many of these renters will miss a rent payment, be at risk of eviction, and they're therefore also at risk of homelessness. If a family were evicted today, if they were lucky, they might end up doubling up with friends or family, which is how we know COVID is actually both spreading in the US and spread in China. But if they're less lucky, they might end up sleeping out of their car in a homeless shelter. But we also know that our homeless shelters were quite overburdened prior to COVID-19, and they're also not set up to promote social distancing. So most of our homeless shelters are set up in the form of congregate care. People sleep shoulder to shoulder, and people experiencing homelessness are also disproportionately at risk for upper respiratory infections infections like COVID-19. So the worst case scenario is that many people will experience an eviction, they'll experience homelessness, that this will also affect their children because families with children are disproportionately at risk of eviction. Walk me down the rent food chain a little bit here. If there's an eviction moratorium, I don't have to pay my rent this month. If the landlord has a mortgage on the property, does the landlord still have to pay the mortgage? Just a quick correction. So if there's an eviction moratorium, it doesn't mean that people don't have to pay rent. People still have to pay rent. It just means that if a person misses a rent payment, it's postponing the inevitable. Understood. But is the landlord able to postpone their mortgage payment without severe penalty? Uh, It depends on where you live. But yes, there are greater protections for property owners than there are for tenants. But in theory, if a tenant missed a rent payment, And that caused, for instance, a landlord to go into forbearance. That's part of the reason why that some of the policy proposals in Congress include measures both for tenants, but also for property owners as well to ensure that, you know, if tenants can't pay rent, that especially like the mom and pop landlords are not left out in the dark. Speaking of if something isn't done, do you believe that there is enough common ground in Congress that were a broader stimulus package to be passed that at least an extension of the federal rent moratorium or eviction moratorium rather would be included in that package? You know, I'm not particularly confident at this point in time. Uh, The HEALS Act that, you know, was proposed earlier this week did not include an eviction moratorium, for instance. And in fact, you know, prior to COVID-19, we were already in the midst of a housing crisis. We were seeing 3.6 million evictions filed annually as late as 2016 when unemployment was under 5%. So this is like an issue that has been ignored or made invisible for many, many years now. I think, you know, predominantly due to the fact that it's partly driven by racial discrimination. So as we think about solutions, you know, this is a problem that both Republicans and Democrats have been able to address if, you know, had they so uh, chosen beforehand. I I hope that they're able to come together with a package. But um, there have also been several bills, you know, stalled out in both the Senate and the House for several weeks now. And there aren't currently any protections or stimulus measures in place. You corrected me earlier, correctly corrected me, uh, in saying that it's not that you don't have to pay rent, it's that you don't necessarily have to pay rent today. Eventually, the bill's going to come due. Given that, is a eviction moratorium just kicking the can down the road because at some point it will go away, even if it's, say, after there's a vaccine sometime next year, and then people will have so many back payments due that then they get evicted? The whole purpose of the eviction moratorium is just, you know, it's a stopgap measure to ensure that people can shelter in place at this point in time, addressing people's material concerns. So like, do they have money for rent? Do they fund money for food or healthcare, that sort of thing? That is like a separate but overlapping issue. So that is why, you know, a moratorium should be coupled with some sort of cash assistance, supplemental unemployment insurance, rental assistance, because that 
you know, addresses people's abilities to pay for basic needs like rent. But if a family didn't pay today, for instance, and then the eviction moratorium expired, their landlord could immediately file an eviction, which would still trigger, you know, ruined credit, potential job loss. Just very briefly, if you were in charge of Congress, you were the only vote, you were the only legislator. Quickly, what are the two or three things you would want included in this stimulus package? comprehensive eviction moratorium that lasts at least a year or two until the end that's tied to the end of the economic crisis until, you know, unemployment is back under 5%. Second would be some sort of stimulus aid, probably in the form of cash payments that could go out to families to, you know, meet their essential needs, given that jobs have disappeared and they have not reappeared. And third, we need to rethink the system of justice as it relates to housing matters. Housing is currently a civil court matter, not a criminal court matter. So folks don't have a right to an attorney in housing court, which means that most landlords have representation, most tenants do not. Even if you know a landlord is found to be harassing a tenant or illegally evicting someone, there is a huge power imbalance in the way that we currently deal with these issues. Elisa Durana of the Eviction Lab at Princeton, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Welcome back. Today we're focused on developments at Kodak, which last week surprised everyone by receiving a $765 million government loan to stand up a new pharma unit. Well, maybe not everyone was surprised. According to the Wall Street Journal, the SEC is now investigating circumstances around the loan. For example, why some Kodak executives were granted new stock options on July 27th, the day before the loan was publicly announced. Then there was also some other weirdness on the 27th, whereby some media outlets were pre-briefed on the loan, reported it, and then pulled down those reports at the company's request. Shares that day rose 25%. If it turns out that Kodak execs tried taking advantage of what was already an advantageous situation, then it could truly be the last chapter in one of America's most storied corporate histories. We're also continuing to watch the TikTok saga, with President Trump again yesterday asserting that Microsoft or any other buyer must pay a fee to the U.S. Treasury, even though no one's going to pay a fee to the U.S. Treasury. The latest today is that Facebook has launched its own TikTok competitor called Reels, and that Triller, a Los Angeles-based competitor that sued TikTok for patent infringement, is raising venture capital at a valuation north of $1 billion. The bottom line, everyone wants a piece of TikTok, either figuratively or literally. Finally, we are watching college reopenings. A Boston City Councilor is asking Boston University and Northeastern University to reverse course on bringing students back to campus this fall believing that the out-of-state influx could spark a new coronavirus surge. Don't be surprised to see similar debates play out in cities and college towns across the country. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Oyster Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.